Sun Life Community Church came into being as the result of a compelling vision for a different kind of church, interested in what we call the Sun Life, experiencing and sharing the life of God's Son. Perhaps your heart is burdened these days. We invite you to allow the Word of God through the words of this message to bring rest to your soul and joy to your heart. Heavenly Father, this is the living Word of God. It is not a book containing the finest thoughts of men, though its thoughts are indeed marvelous. But they are instructions. They are information given to us by you yourself, the Almighty God who created all things. And as much as possible, as much as we can, you want us to know and understand all things so that we might truly be people apart in this fallen world. Help us through the things we look at today to just be further refined, be further, further informed that we might have something of value to say wherever we go in this week ahead. And we ask that now in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning I want to begin by reminding you and me of last week's key scripture. It's right there, Acts chapter 8, verse 1, just starting a brand new chapter. Acts 8, 1, and we read last week, on that day, and what day was that? Thank you, thank you. So it was the day that Stephen got stoned to death. He was martyred, he was murdered. The Jewish leaders who could not stand Jesus Christ rose up against one who was serving Jesus Christ and just put him to death. And that very day, it says, Luke says, a great persecution. They weren't satisfied with just killing Stephen. They realized he represented the Lord Jesus. The Lord Jesus was no longer there. They'd already killed him. But now they were going to go after anybody claiming the name of Jesus. Anyone associated, even in that church that Stephen was part of. So it says, on that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. That's the only church there was. All believers were gathered together in Jerusalem. That's where the church was. That's where they worshipped. That's where the apostles were. That's where they were learning. That's where a fellowship was developing. It's the only place in the world where there was such a body of people believers in Jesus Christ. And so the enemies of Christ could find them easily. They were all right there in Jerusalem. So a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Judea, like we said a week ago, was compared to Apple Valley. Judea would be like San Bernardino County. Judea was a big province of which Jerusalem was a city in it. And then Samaria was the next province north to them. Another one. And they were scattered through, initially, those two major geological, geographical regions. Now, here's today's key scripture, just jumping ahead a couple of verses to Acts chapter 8, verse 4. Luke continues the story by saying, Now those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Have you ever had the experience of reading God's word and not even thinking about it? You just read the words. Should read a chapter today. This is my reading today. I just read a verse to you. The words just go right by you? Or is there something in that verse that say, Wait a minute, wait a minute. Something doesn't add up here. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. All the preachers stayed in Jerusalem. Right? All the apostles, they'd been doing all the preaching, all the teaching. Stephen gotten involved a little bit as he explained things to the Sanhedrin, the Jewish council that ultimately condemned him to death. But all the apostles, the ones who really knew the Lord face to face, the ones he had appointed, they remained in Jerusalem and everybody else, just the regular believers, mom, dad, children, grandparents, 
They scattered everywhere, just running for their life. But everywhere they went, they preached the word, even without a seminary degree. Preach. It simply means to declare God's good news. How many of you know just a little bit of God's good news? Good news, kind of we call it the what? Starts with a G too. The gospel, the good news, the story of what God has done and what Jesus has done. So everywhere they went, they were declaring, preaching the word, God's good news. Now let me ask you, remember this high school cheer? Some of you who are, you know, under 80 in here might not remember it, but those of us who are flirting with that. But anyway, remember this high school cheer. I'll bet many of your schools, when you were in high school, used this one. It goes, everywhere we go, people want to know who we are, so we tell them, right? I'll bet there are some of you in here who were high school cheerleaders uh, who actually use that cheer. Any of you familiar with it? Where's all the cheerleaders we have? I could have you come all up on the platform and, and we would just do it. A little audience participation this morning. But the truth of it is, I think almost every school in America, and maybe some of them are still using it. as just a way of identifying themselves and organizing a crowd into a unity. Everywhere we go, people want to know who we are, so we tell them. Now, usually, then, the chair goes on, we are the blank, which would be whatever the motto, the, the uh, mascot, thank you, of your school would be. And so we tell them we are the blank, the mighty, mighty blanks. So why don't we do this? I'm wearing what I'm wearing today because these were my high school colors, gray and red. And we were the cardinals you know, the bright red bird that you see mostly back east. So everywhere we go, people want to know who we are, so we tell them we are the, we would say, the Cardinals. The, you know, no wonder we didn't win hardly anything. <laughs> Who's ever seen a mighty, mighty Cardinal? But, you know, uh, there for a while in St. Louis, there were some pretty mighty Cardinals, but... Boy, they've fallen on bad times in Arizona. Okay, do you remember your high school mascot? Okay, know what it is? So let's just do this together just to wake everybody else up and we'll be ready to go. I'm going to say the words and when we come to the blank where the mascot should be, you just say your own school's mascot, okay? In fact, we'll say the whole thing together and you just put in your own, the one that you used to say and can probably still remember and it'll just make the years fall off of us and, and we'll go home feeling like teenagers. So here we go. Everywhere we go, people want to know who we are, so we tell them we are the Cardinals, mighty, mighty Cardinals. Gee. I'll bet God got a kick out of that. Because <laughs> he can remember when all of us were probably on some sports team maybe or were cheerleaders or were just loyal kids in the stage on the stands and we're saying that kind of stuff and getting a little joy in life. Luke says basically the early church functioned like that. They were on team Jesus. Everywhere we go, for the first time they were going places. Everywhere we go, people want to know who we are. Who are you guys? Christians. Yeah, so we tell them. Now, I would imagine in those early days, we say, here's what those scattered believers very likely said. When you come to town, and they came as groups, not a hundred at a time, I don't think, but they came as groups. They didn't go one by one. They were watching out for each other. They, some of them, a bunch of them, were probably related together. They had come to Jerusalem months ago for these events, and now they're heading maybe back to their own homes, but as groups. And people would say, well, who are you guys? Who are you guys? I can hear them saying, we are followers of Jesus, fleeing for our lives, for the same Jews that killed Jesus are seeking to kill us. 
no doubt people who really weren't up on all these things, especially up there in Samaria, but in the hinterland of Judea. They're, they're Jews. They practice the Jewish faith, but maybe all this story about Jesus and his death and all that hadn't even reached their ears yet. And they might have said, well, who's this Jesus? Who's this Jesus you say you're a follower of? And why did any of our Jewish brothers kill him? And why do they want to kill you? Who are you? And then the new disciples would have to say something like this. Well, I'll tell you, Jesus. Jesus is the eternal son of our awesome God. He took upon himself human flesh and he lived and he ministered among us right here on this earth for over 30 years. He was sent as the Lamb of God who could and would take away the sins of the whole world. He lived a perfectly sinless life himself and then he willingly gave his life as a payment for the sins of the whole world. After three days in the tomb, our mighty God raised him from the dead, and after appearing to many of us personally, he ascended back to heaven where he watches over us this very moment. We believe in him. And we believe that only through him, through faith in him, can any of us receive forgiveness from our holy God and enjoy fellowship one day in heaven with him. We've all been baptized in his name, and we've received the gift of the Holy Spirit who has brought spiritual life to each of us. Our Jewish brothers and even the leaders of our people killed Jesus, and they now want to kill us because they do not believe in him and have not accepted him as our Heavenly Father's provision for us, and they want to rid the earth of any trace of him. We, however, do believe in him and have received eternal life through him. That's who we are. Now, I believe all of that. All of that is implied in that single verse we've just made today's key scripture. Words like that are a powerful response. It's like dynamite in the Holy Spirit's hand. The Apostle Paul, whom we will meet in the next few chapters of Acts, wrote these words a number of years later to the believers in the church at Rome, the capital city itself. In the very first chapter of that letter, verse 16, he said, Paul said, I am not ashamed. I'll tell anybody this stuff. I am not ashamed of the gospel, the good news, because it is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes. I tell you, Luke, we know he's the writer of Acts. He's written the verses we've read already this morning. Luke he later on became a traveling companion of Paul. And he was surely in Paul's presence as Paul in those later years was writing that letter to the Romans. And I can imagine as Paul wrote those words, Luke would have responded, boy, you sure got that right, Paul. That's exactly what happened in the early days of the church's expansion. Remember what I reported in my second letter to Theophilus? The one that the folks have simply been calling the book of Acts? People went everywhere sharing the gospel, the good news. And you remember what I said happened when they did that? And that brings us to this morning's second key scripture which is Luke's report. Again, still Acts chapter 8, but now jumping up to verse 5, Luke says, now Philip, all these people that got scattered, he identified, he zeroes in on one. One man's story that he's going to tell, probably as an example of others as well. But he said, Philip, 
along with who, along with Stephen, had been one of the seven, you know, the seven men, the apostles appointed to take care of that problem between the, the widows, it reported in Acts chapter 6, where they were being neglected and so forth. Stephen was one of the seven. Philip was also one of those seven men. And so Luke says here, Philip, he went down to a city in Samaria. Now that's, that's the next province up. That's not Judea, where Jerusalem and strong, strong Jewish believers are. Samaria was a, was a messed up group. Can't go into all their history now. But he went to a city in Samaria, about 40 miles from Jerusalem, and he preached Christ there. Luke says, when the crowds heard Philip and saw the miraculous signs he did... That's, that's interesting. Philip's not an apostle. Philip's just a believer. Chosen as a man who's full of the Holy Spirit, full of wisdom, and he goes and, and he just preaches the truth. He just shares the truth. And as a result of being there, some of the same things happened that happened to Peter and John when they were walking into Jerusalem, into the temple that one day, and they see a crippled man there, and they lift him up and heal him. A miraculous thing done in the name of Jesus. Apparently, the same kinds of things were happening when Philip would apply the name of Jesus and the truth of Jesus to people who were hurting and were needing to see the power of God. It says, when the crowds heard Philip, saw the miraculous signs he did, they all paid close attention to what he said. How many of you would a miracle get your attention? Almost always happens. A miracle... What happened to you? You were crippled for 30 years and now you're walking and what happened? They took note of it. That's the primary reason, other than blessing individuals, but the primary reason that God ever does miracles that are given and written about and recorded in the scripture. It's always to make, to create an attention-getting moment that would say the power of God is right here. And the power of God will get your attention, but the words of God will give you truth. And so the miracles got their attention, and it says, so then they paid attention to what he said. With shrieks, evil spirits came out of many, and many paralytics and cripples were healed, and there was great joy in that city. Don't you believe it? Joy. What joy comes? There's no greater joy than being set free from things that have bound you. There is nothing like being set free from something that has bound you. If you know what it's like to be bound up, you know what it's like to be under control of something that seems to be out of your control, and it's a bad thing, a negative thing, a horrible thing, and then you're set free from it. Oh, that kind of joy knows no bounds. Obviously, Philip, like Stephen before him, was a man full of the Spirit and wisdom. He had the power of God within him. He had the wisdom of God to know where and when and who and how to, to just demonstrate that power that would have an impact upon an entire city. So here among the Samaritans, those people who had strong animosity toward anything that would come from Jerusalem... We read in the Gospels several times. Now, the Jews had nothing to do with Samaritans. Well, let me tell you, the Samaritans were not waiting around for the Jews to change their attitude. Samaritans didn't want anything to do with them either. There was hostility between them. The woman at the well, remember her? When Jesus, and she says, why are you a Jew asking me, a Samaritan, for a drink? You know, we have no dealings with each other. I hate you, you hate me. That's the way it is. And here's Stephen in Samaria. But Philip's message 
brought deliverance and life. And all of a sudden, it's like something bigger than our old historical animosity is at work here. God, that we both claim to worship, has intervened into our situation. And he obviously has something to tell us. And we're going to listen. And Philip could say, you know, everywhere we go, everywhere we go, people want to know who we are. And so we tell them, we preach, we proclaim the good news of Christ. And as Philip told them, the Spirit of God opened their eyes. They embraced the Lord Jesus and his death on the cross for them. Luke says, and they, almost sounding like the whole group, and they were baptized. They were baptized in Jesus' name. They became followers of his. They were set free from all manner of things that had held them captive. Most of all, they were set free from the sin that had controlled them and from the demonic beings that had harassed them. Oh, I tell you. We can read back the story of a first century happening and, and think, oh, that was long ago in a place far away, and thank God we don't live in a world like that anymore. Oh, let me tell you. We live today in the midst of a world that is harassed and crippled in mind and body. Alcohol and drugs of the most dangerous sort have taken possession of people that we know and love. Godless thinking has filled the minds of many and they're just captured by the, the words of explanation of what life is all about and where we came from and where we're heading and who we really are. Godless explanations of all of those things have people today just locked up as tight as if they were in chains. In recent days, just the past weeks, two young men Two young men known by some in this room. Two young men seeking deliverance from the seeming meaninglessness and boredom of life. Lost their lives to drugs. Seeking an experience. Lost their lives to drugs that just completely overwhelmed them. Young men. Both of them left families behind. See, there, there are people. There are people all around us while they're still living and breathing who need to be told, who need to have the good news, not this horrible news of the world from the eyes of those who are miserable and, and, and just under the curse of it. They need to be told the gospel, the good news that God, of what God has done. We can't just casually address it. Oh, just believe in Jesus. Everything will be all right. Oh, just come to church. Get yourself straightened out. Some quick, short, little thing. Ask Jesus into your heart without any explanation of any of it. Those little quips... Even the things that those of us a little older are familiar with, the little quips that make up Bible tracks. How to tell the whole wonderful story in three small pages, like a cartoon book. And you think, really? Really, the God of all the universe, you're telling me these are eternal truths, these are things that will affect me for, for eternity, and you're asking me to make a decision that is that immense, and you think maybe in a, in a five-minute conversation it can happen? 
That's some kind of glib statement without any explanation, without anything we're putting in the Holy Spirit's hands to begin to really work within their minds and their hearts. And yet, how many of us as Christians just, you know, we think we've done a good job if we just dropped what we call a seed. Well, you know, I've found uh, trusting Jesus has made all the difference in my life. We'll see what God does with that. You see, the people, the people around us whose lives are hanging by a thread need to know the whole story. They need to know why they are in such a state. They need to know why this world is so absolutely painful to them. They need to know why it makes sense to just live for a momentary thrill that might actually end your life, but if it doesn't, wow, has it been something. And to think that that's a way to go about getting from day to day and month to month. The people around us need to be told the full, wonderful, glorious, and sometimes painful story. They need to know that the only freedom from meaninglessness, the only life that can provide any kind of true, heart-satisfying joy, is that which is found in faith in Jesus Christ. And they need to know all the packaging that that statement comes in. Submission to the very Spirit of God who will walk you through this life on a straight and true and firm path. That's what Philip told the people of the Samaritan city he entered. Lives were changed by the preaching, the teaching, the sharing of the word of God. Now, in a few moments this morning, I want to hand you, I want to give you a script. We could call it that. A script that you could use to preach that word yourself. But, before I do that, let me just say Luke wasn't done yet with the story of Philip, so let's follow it on through. Today's key, a third key scripture, Acts chapter 8 still, but now up to verse 26. It says, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road, that leads from Jerusalem to Gaza. There's no time period here. We don't know if Philip was still in that Samaria town when uh, the angel spoke to him, if Philip had some time had gone by, but at least wherever he was, whenever it was, the angel says to Philip, here's the next assignment. And it's a specific assignment. Don't just go preaching the word. I want you to go... Take the road south out of Jerusalem that leads to Gaza. And so here's how it reads. Beginning with verse 26, Acts 8. So, since the angel had told to him, told him these things, so, in an obedient sense, he, that is Philip, started out. And on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of Candace the queen of the Ethiopians, a high-ranking public official. And he had been to Jerusalem. He believed in the God of the Jews. He no doubt had become a proselyte to Judaism. He believed. He had gone to Jerusalem. He participated in, in the things that took place in that holy city, in that temple. Because it says this man had gone to Jerusalem to worship and on his way home, he was sitting in his chariot, reading the book of Isaiah, the prophet, and the Spirit. Isn't it good to know the Spirit will talk to you? He'll direct you. Uh, he'll guide you through life. He's your companion. He knows everything that God would have you do in your life, and he can bump you in one direction or another direction. Here he specifically said to Philip, go to the chariot over there and stay by it. You know, Hang out there. Make yourself known to that man. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading. Most people in those days would read the scriptures out loud. You had to add into the Hebrew language the proper vowels. And so you'd, you'd almost have to speak it to read it. So he was reading out loud from the book of Isaiah. And Philip says, do you understand what you are reading? 
How can I, he said. I just learned Hebrew. No. How can I? Unless someone explains it to me. And his eyes, we would just say, were open that he saw Philip. Is someone been sent for that very purpose? He says, so he invited Philip to come and sit with him in the chariot and explain it. And then Luke says, here's the passage of scripture that he had been reading that he didn't understand. It's Isaiah chapter 53, verses 7 and 8. And it says, he, this unknown one, unidentified one, Isaiah says, he was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a, like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before his shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? He doesn't have any. They killed him. He was taken. For his life was taken from the earth. So the eunuch asked Philip, tell me please, who is the prophet talking about himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. That lets us know. Philip told him a whole lot more than what was just in those two verses in the book of Isaiah. Beginning with that scripture, he then told him the whole story of Jesus, the good news. And as they traveled along the road, they came to some water. So obviously he had included the birth of the church. He had included the baptism of believers. He had included the whole good news of Jesus and the way faith in him can change our lives. So they came to some water and the eunuch said, look, here's water. Now it was a desert road, right? So it's not like there was water everywhere. So the eunuch says, hey, there's water here. Obviously, enough. What can stand in the way of my being baptized? Lots of times that's the preacher saying it to somebody in the church. What's standing in the way of you getting baptized? Here's the man saying, What's standing in my way? What's keeping me from being baptized? I accept this Savior Jesus. I believe he's the Son of God. I believe he died for the sins of the world. I believe he was raised from the dead. I believe that he sent his Holy Spirit into the world of which you are filled with. Oh, I believe all of that. What would possibly keep me from identifying with Jesus Christ in baptism? And so, then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him in the name, into the relationship with Jesus himself. Now, when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him again. But he went on his way rejoicing. He became one of the storytellers. I guarantee you, when he got home, he began to preach, to share, to talk about the good news he had discovered of Jesus Christ. You know, sometimes the Lord sets things up just like that for us. We run into somebody who is eager to hear the good news. Someone who's already aware that there must be more to life than what they've been experiencing. Possibly someone who even senses that, that those answers are found in the Bible. But when they look at the Bible, it just seems like such a big book. And even when they try to read it, it seems like it, it's just so confusing that, that they give up. And then here you come. Here you come. And my question today is, are you ready? When someone asks and somebody around you wants to know who you are, are you ready and willing and capable of telling them? Or as somebody jokingly said to me not long ago, just a couple weeks ago, somebody said, and, and kind of with the chuckle as we're talking about sharing the faith with somebody, this person said to me, well, you know, that's above my pay grade. Truth be told, if you interviewed 10 million professing Christians in this country and said, if you ran into somebody who needed to be saved, 
who needed to know how to be saved, how to have their sins forgiven, how to be sure that they're going to heaven when and if they die, how many of you would, would you feel you could explain that to them? I'll bet you 99% of that million believers would say, well, you know, uh, that's why our church hires a pastor. I've got his phone number right here in my cell phone. We can work this out. But that's above my pay. See, I'm just a regular church member. Remember what I said when all the people scattered, went preaching the word while all the preachers were in Jerusalem? They were doing the thing. They're just sharing the truth of God that they knew. And they were sharing it completely. Well, here's the good news. This morning, before we leave, I want to give all of you, if you ever feel that way about yourself, that's above my pay grade, I want to give all of you a major promotion. I want you all to feel worthy, as it were, of getting the big bucks. I want you all to feel capable of telling others the gospel truth. So here we go. If you have your bulletin with you today, tucked in your bulletin today, and also extras on the counter in the foyer, is an extended script. And it bears the title, God's Call to Salvation. It kind of looks weighty, doesn't it? I'm not saying we should memorize this, but we should be aware I'm just telling you that everything on the front and back of this sheet of paper, it's even laminated. Did you notice that? You can use it for a coffee cup, you know. <laughs> and, and you might even, but here's the deal. This is a biblically sound and a complete statement. It's probably a statement like you've never heard before. It goes way beyond. God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. And I want to read it to you this morning. So take a deep breath and forgive me if uh, it uh, is like, oh, I don't know, there's no pictures on it or anything. <laughs> It'll take a few minutes. But I want you to hear it, follow it along as I read. I want you to take it with you. Tuck it in your Bible or just keep it somewhere. Read it in the next few days several times. I guarantee there's going to be some statements here that you're not going to ever have thought were part of a salvation discussion. I want you to know it. I want you to become familiar with every truth it covers. And then, after you've done that, Take the courage that God's Spirit gives you, and I want you to sit down with the person in your life who right now is the most curious about the Christian faith. The person who ever now, every now and then kind of asks you a question that, that you try to kind of feel your way through, but you know they're thinking about it. You know they're curious about it. You know they're not an adversary to it then I want you to sit down with that person or with any person who's even struggling with their Christian faith. You know, I asked Jesus into my heart and my life kind of is not going as smooth as I thought it ought to. I want you to sit down with them and I want you to read it out loud with them. Line by line. Thought by thought. You'll probably wind up stopping frequently to discuss some part of it, to questions that arise with them. But I'm telling you, I don't believe you will find a more complete statement of God's call to salvation than what you have right here. So let me read it right now. Just let it go into your ears and, and as you follow along, you can't really underline anything since it is laminated. But uh, here we go. God's call to salvation. And as I read through here, I want you to kind of check off in your mind with regard to your own salvation. And said, I understood that. I knew that. I know that now. I see that has worked in my life in this way. 
or for some of you it may be I've never even been exposed to that thought. I probably need to, to rethink some things. So here we go. God's call to salvation. God's call to salvation is above everything else a call to surrender. A call to repudiate the life attitude of independence and indulgence chosen by Eve and then by Adam in the Garden of Eden. That attitude of independence and indulgence has been man's natural condition ever since its birth in the Garden. It's an attitude that sets man in opposition to God and to his purposes and plans for man. It's an attitude that separates man from any meaningful relationship with God. It's properly called sin. It's an attitude that expresses itself in all manner of self-centered actions, each of them an offense to the one who created man for his own fellowship and pleasure. It's become the core of man's being. It's an attitude of heart and mind that closes the door of heaven to man. It closes the door of fellowship as well. Spiritually speaking, man in his natural state is a woeful wanderer in this fallen world. Man in his natural state is under the curse of the creator whose plan for man has been rejected, whose purposes for man perverted. However, however, in the heart of God resides a deep love for man, for the entire rebellious human race. And God yearns for man to be restored to, once, to what was once the norm, wondrous, joyful fellowship between the creator and the being in his own image that he had fashioned. And so God's plan of salvation was designed. God would provide a way for man to be restored to fellowship, for man to move from a position of rebellion to one of reliance, from a sense of self-rule to an experience of complete submission to the will and the ways of God. God would send his own beloved son into the human race to model just such a life, a life completely surrendered to the heavenly father and thus completely obedient to him, a perfect example of what a restored human being would be. And then, having fulfilled that task, having lived a perfectly sinless and flawless life in complete surrender to the father's will, he was enabled by the powerful spirit of God with whom he walked obediently. Jesus, having done all that, God's heaven-sent son was offered up as a sacrifice for all mankind. He paid the price of man's rebellion with his own life's blood. And the father accepted that sacrifice and demonstrated his acceptance by raising his crucified son from death and positioning him at his own right hand in heaven and giving him the name that's above all names, the very name at which one day all living beings will bow. And then the Father sent his own Holy Spirit into the world to begin the process of calling men to salvation to announce to the world what God has done in Jesus Christ and to announce as well that forgiveness of sins and restoration to fellowship was now possible for man. That call will be responded to by all who truly hear it. It's a call to surrender. Surrender to Jesus Christ and to the one he has sent, the Holy Spirit, to carry out the work of salvation in the world. This surrender of self involves confession of one's sinfulness before God and of one's guilt before God and of one's utter inability to atone for one's own sin. This surrender of self involves a repudiation of all attempts to work out one's own salvation to earn God's favor. 
This surrender of self involves an embrace of Jesus Christ as one's personal savior from sin and a recognition that new life, new birth is the only way one can experience new life. New birth is accomplished by the Holy Spirit in the hearts of those who hear his voice and respond in faith to his call. This new birth is a work of God and provides immediate membership in the family of God and in the church of Jesus Christ. This new birth is a profoundly miraculous work. This new birth begins a process by which a fallen, sin-filled human being is brought into fellowship with God the Father and is transformed into the very likeness of Christ. Those who truly hear God's call to salvation respond thusly. O oh God, O oh God, I confess that I am a sinner by nature and by choice. I confess that I rightly stand under your judgment and condemnation. My life of independence and indulgence has been an offense to you, to your plans and to your holiness. I have no claim on you, but I appeal to your great love. I know that you sent your perfect son, Jesus, to not only demonstrate perfection in this fallen world, but also to die in my place. I do believe he died for me, and I also believe that he rose from the dead and that he sits at your right hand in heaven this very moment. I confess that he is the eternal son of God, and I embrace him as my Savior and Lord, and I ask you in his name to forgive me for my sins. I ask you for his sake to grant me new birth into your eternal family by the power of your Holy Spirit. I acknowledge your sovereignty over all things, and I yield myself to you as my Abba Father. May your will be done in my life. I yield myself as well to the control of the Holy Spirit, whom you and your Son Jesus have sent to guide me through life. Amen. That, my friend, is who we are. That's who the Bible says we are. We are people who acknowledge all those biblical truths and who define ourselves in light of them. We have made the commitment they describe. We are born-again followers of Jesus Christ. And now for today's final thought, it says this everywhere we go. There are people who want to know who we are. So let's tell them. Let's tell them. It's the most important thing we could ever say to anybody. The good news of God's love expressed to fallen sinful human beings through Jesus Christ. Oh, our Heavenly Father... It is your desire that every one of your children feels comfortable and capable of telling the family's story. A story of, of man's fall from the will and ways of God. The story of your great love that would bring them back to fellowship and to give to them the eternal life that you originally intended them to enjoy. But, oh, Father, there's a, there's a great truth that they must accept, acknowledge, and commit themselves to. They must confess that, that they are indeed what you say they are. They are fallen. At the very heart of them is a rebellious, self-centered, independent nature that you find appalling. But they must know that in your great love, you have chosen a way whereby you no longer need to be appalled by them, but can in fact, as a holy God, embrace them 
through your son, Jesus. Father, it's a marvelous story. It's the best news that has ever come into this fallen, broken world. Father, we've accepted it. I'm sure almost all of us in this room have accepted it in in its fullest possible measure. We've reviewed today all the elements of it. Father, don't let us forget. Don't let us forget how big of a story this is, how much is involved in it. These are eternal, almighty God concepts and truths given to us. We've been made able to understand them by the work of the Holy Spirit who who turns the light on for us. And Father, may we be faithful. May we do the most ordinary thing. That's what the early believers thought it was. The most ordinary thing. They fled for their lives from physical danger, but everywhere they went, they told the story. They told the truth. They praised the Savior. They invited others to come into a relationship with God by confessing sin, yielding themselves, and allowing you to become all that you would be. Father, in this room, may may we never settle for a short little quip. When we think of our own salvation, fill our minds with all of this truth, with all of this truth. And as we talk to others, Oh, may they know the blessing of having their mind just flooded with the glorious good news of Jesus Christ. Soften their hearts. Enable their will to make choices that will will lead to life. We ask this now in Jesus' name. We hope this message has inspired you to live the sun life together with us. If you are near Apple Valley, California this weekend, we invite you to join us in person Sunday morning or through our live broadcast. All the details are on our website at sunlifecommunitychurch.com.